One of the things that you will notice right off the bat, last Sunday morning we talked about the age of radical tolerance. This morning we're going to continue, but it's going to be the age of radical tolerance part number two. Because there's so much to it, uh, it's almost impossible to deal with it in one setting. And so for this morning, where the scripture reading came from was out of Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 11. And I will say where we find ourselves today is human wisdom is not enough. Human knowledge is not enough. We need more than that. And that is one of the things that Solomon shares in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1 through verse number 11 You know, we get this mindset today when it comes to the subject of truth, and we're going to be dealing more with the subject of truth today probably than anything else. And and let me say something about it. Truth cannot be subjectively created. Absolute truth or truth cannot be uh, subjectively created. What do you mean by that? Personal opinion, how we frame truth, because we lose sight of something when we do that. There is an absolute truth that is above us. There is a truth that cannot be, cannot be changed, modified based on our own personal opinions of whether or not we agree with it or not is immaterial because that truth will always be. That truth is constant. That truth is steady. And one of the things that we can understand and draw from it, the word never changes. God never changes. Truth does not change. Now, one of the things that we do often in life is we think we have our own. We think we have our own means to generate our own. We kind of create this world of ours based upon our own truth scenarios, and we put them in place, and that's what we tend to live by oftentimes in total disregard for the Scripture or for the Word of God. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1 through 11 is an interesting passage of Scripture as Solomon writes. He said, My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear, and notice what he says, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding, for if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Let me share this with you this morning as we continue reading. God has given us clear moral commands in his law and in his word. And I'll I'll say this to you, they don't change. Doesn't make any difference the way culture thinks they should be framed or defined. They do not change. They're very clear. They're there in Scripture for us. But as Solomon continues in verse number 6, notice what he says next. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. James writing in his letter. Matter of fact, here's what he said. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of who? Let him ask of God. The wisdom that we need today is not our wisdom. We need the wisdom of God and discernment in a world today and in a culture that seems just absolutely out of control. Understanding and realizing that there is an absolute truth. There is a truth that is there. And please do not look past this. We serve a sovereign God today. 
God understands, God knows, God has everything in his plan under control. And he is going to bring it to a close. And as he brings it to a close, there are things that are going to occur. And there are things that are going to happen. And it really doesn't make any difference the way culture tries to define it. It is still truth. It is still here. But he goes on in verse number 7 and he says he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Guarding the paths of justice and he prefers the way of his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. Now, I hear people say this all the time. Well, you know, they just seem so negative. They seem so controlling. Why do I need to abide by them? At first, and I'll say this to you this morning, at first, they may appear to be negative. They may appear to be on the negative side. But really, when you go and you look at them, and from a believer they're actually freeing and positive. You say, well, how can that be? Well, turn with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and we're just going to go through several passages in Psalm 119. I'm just going to give these to you. We'll just go from verse to verse. Psalm 119, verse 1 and verse 2. The first two opening verses of Psalm 119. And notice as the psalmist writes for us, how blessed are those whose way is blameless. Not sinless, blameless. Who walk in the law of the Lord. Who walk which way? In the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all of their heart. Who walk in his ways, who walk in the ways of God, who walk according to the word of God. My dear friend, it's freeing and it's positive when you think about it. Look at verse 35. Psalm 119, just go over to verse 35. We'll start in verse 33. But it begins with something. There has to be, listen, there has to be a desire for it. This does not come by means of osmosis. There are some of us who believe that if we could just lay down at night and go to sleep on our pillow, stick a book underneath our pillow, that when we wake up the next day to go take the final exam, it'll all be there. doesn't work that way. We all know that. And we know that, but we often do the same thing when it comes to the Word of God. We just think it's arbitrarily going to make its way into us. But notice what the psalmist says. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. Teach me. And I shall observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all of my heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments. And notice what it says. For I delight in it. Teach me. I want to learn. I want to know. Teach me. I want your wisdom, God. I want your discernment for everyday life. I want to walk in them. As a matter of fact, the psalmist said, for I delight in it. It is not not negative 
And it may be from a world perspective, but it's also freeing and positive when we consider it from God's perspective of his word. It gives us strength. It helps us navigate the world that we find ourselves in today. Look at verse 55, Psalm 119. O Lord, I remember your name in the night and keep your law. This has become mine that I observe your precepts. We're going to stay in the Old Testament just a little bit longer. Moses did something very interesting with the children of Israel concerning this very subject. And if you'll flip with me back to Deuteronomy chapter number 10, you're going to need your Bibles today. Deuteronomy chapter number 10. I hope you brought it with you. Deuteronomy chapter number 10, verse 12 and verse 13. Moses acknowledged this truth when he challenged the nation of Israel. He challenged the nation of Israel with this. Look at verse 12 and verse 13. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways and love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Boy, doesn't that sound very familiar. Matter of fact, Jesus spoke about this. We're to do what? We're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. That's, that's who we are. We should. Matter of fact, when Jesus was asked by the lawyer, what is the greatest commandment? Well, guess which one it was? This one right here. And the second was like unto it that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But look at verse 13. And keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today for what? For your good. Not from a negative side, but for your good. You know, when believers today get questioned, it's, it's, it's really interesting. When believers today are questioned about something being wrong, the response is generally, it generally goes like this. Well, it's wrong because the Bible says it's wrong. Okay. The Bible says it's wrong, which is often followed by the question, well, why does the Bible say it's wrong? Well, I just know it's in there somewhere. I just know it's wrong because it's got to be in there somewhere. And so we find ourselves in this arena. Yeah, I know it's wrong because the Bible says it's wrong. But oftentimes I think we miss out on the major part of the discussion here. It's wrong. Does the Bible say it's wrong? Well, let's go look and see. The Bible does say it's wrong, okay? But here's one of the things you need to understand. It makes absolutely no difference how you think about it or how you consider it. There is a moral law that is absolute, that is above us, that never changes. And so just because we may not agree with it does not make it untrue or out of place for us when it's contained in the Word of God. But why does the Bible say that it's wrong? I think we lose sight of this. Why does the Bible say a particular subject is wrong? Have you ever considered that God in his justness and in his holiness and who he is and has written for us his word, which is absolutely true, that there is a God up here 
who holds to the truth that sometimes we just don't want to hold to. And let's just be honest with each other. Because where, where are we today? Most people today subscribe to this view of morality. And let me tell you what it's called. It's called cultural ethics. Well, it's okay for me to define for myself what I think is true and what I think is not true. Even if the Bible says something specifically about it, it doesn't mean that I need to adhere to it. As a matter of fact, it goes a little bit further. As a matter of fact, it also comes from this perspective. Well, you know, really and truly, when was that written? doesn't pertain to me today. Matter of fact, here's what we're hearing today across churches across the country and around the world today. Well, you know, really the only thing that you can hold to is the 13 letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament. That's it. Because the rest of it is irrelevant. And if it holds a truth in it, well, I don't agree with that. So guess what? Doesn't matter. It doesn't apply to me. It doesn't matter to, to me who it is. But please listen to me today. There is a truth that is outside any of us in this building. Beyond any human being. And that truth originates in God. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You know, I hear people all the time, Brother Robert, you spend a lot of time over in the Old Testament. Well, just hold on. We're going back to the New, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I want you to notice beginning in verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and I want you to notice what it says. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God, for it is written... Paul going and drawing from the Old Testament here out of Isaiah chapter 29 in verse 14. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Verse 20, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Listen to some of it sometimes. I mean, they think we're off our rocker. Listen to theirs sometimes. It makes absolutely no sense. I mean, how, how did you come up with this? Verse 21, for since, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Sure, to the world is foolishness. To the world, it's negative. To the world, it is absolutely bondage-holding. But not to the believer. You see, cultural tolerance can gain a foothold in the church today, especially when a little error is mixed with truth. I'm going to give you four examples of it real quickly. Here they come. Number one, here's a statement. The Bible contains truth. Designed just for me. The Bible contains truth designed just for me. Sounds good, doesn't it? 
Well, let me break that statement down for you into two parts. The first part is correct. It's objective truth. The Bible contains truth. That is absolutely correct. But it's that second part of that statement that is not. As a matter of fact, the second part of that statement says, designed just for me. That is subjective. Designed just for me. I hate to tell you this, it doesn't make any difference whether you feel like it's designed just for you or not. The Bible contains truth, the truth. All Scripture is inspired by God. All of it. Does it make any difference? Well, here's a, here's a second statement for you. Listen to this one. I hear this one all the time. There are many ways to interpret the Bible. There are many ways to apply it. There's only one interpretation. Matter of fact, it's what we refer to as what is wrong with that statement is this. It is walking down the path of cultural ethics. One of the things that Satan used over, and a matter of fact, go to Genesis chapter number 3. Surely God did not say. He has not, listen, that has been a well-used thought, even making its way into the churches today. Surely God didn't mean that. Surely God didn't say that. That is not the way to interpret it. That is not the way that it should be looked at. Well, here's a third statement for you. What is true for you is not necessarily true for me. And that deals with the issue of truth versus belief. Does it make any difference whether or not you believe it or not? It does not negate the fact that it is the truth. And some of y'all are probably sitting there thinking, Brother Robert, what in the world is going on? Let me tell you something. This is where we are today. This is what's making its way into not just the secular world. It's making its way into the churches today. Listen to the statements that are made. Listen to what's being taught. Here's the fourth one. The Bible is the word of God. True statement. But experience determines interpretation. Let me tell you what that is. Clear Bible teaching versus difficulty in living it. Well, I understand what it says, but. Well, I understand what it means, but. I understand that's a teaching, but. And then they tack this one on at the end of it. Well, you know, God understands who I am and where I am. Does not negate the fact of the truth. Does not negate the fact of our responsibility to the truth. Does not negate the fact that we're still to live out that truth in our lives. Doesn't change anything. It's still there. What the issue is, is what we do with it. So this morning I said all of this to get to here. So it's part two of the age of radical tolerance. How do we move on from here? How do we cultivate a clear position against cultural tolerance in the church? Well, I want to share three points with you quickly this morning. Point number one, we need to develop a deep conviction about truth and the word of God. A deep conviction. But there's only one way that you can develop a deep conviction about truth and the Word of God, and that's to spend time in it. 
One of the other things that we do is we allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. There's one interpretation of Scripture. When you study, when you spend time in the Word of God, one of the things that should begin that process is for the Holy Spirit to teach us the Word of God. For the Holy Spirit to teach us the Word of God. You know, truth is derived from the character and nature of God himself. It is universal and right for all people in all times within all cultures. It's just as true for us here in the West as it is for those today over in the Far East. It's just as true for those in the North as it is for those in the Southern Hemisphere. The truth has not changed. It is still there. The issue today is not about whether or not it meets our fancy or not. It's whether or not we live it out. Turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Jesus speaking here is pretty clear. John chapter 12, we'll start in verse 48. You know, here's, here's, are you ready? This is, here's the, here's the great thing about all of this. One day for me, when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ, okay, and all of my works will be tried. You know, here's the, here's, 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 here's the great thing about all of this, okay? I will not answer for, for anything in my life service-wise to the Lord other than what I'm responsible for and according to his word. In other words, he's not going to take me and David and say, well, you know, David sure did so much more than you did. You know, you just really didn't measure up. Aren't you glad today that our standard is the Word of God? It's Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. John chapter 12, look at verse 48. Jesus says, He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings, you ought to underline the next part, has one who judges him. Has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. It's the word. Verse 49, for I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. Now look at verse 50. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. But I want you to concentrate with me on verse 48. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. That's the important piece of this. So develop a deep conviction about truth and the word of God. Well, point number two. This is one, this is one road we just sometimes don't like to go down. Take the time to listen and answer the tough questions. I'm going to tell you, there are a bunch of them out there. I spent three hours with a young man 
three hours. Was expecting to be there for about 45 minutes. It turned into three hours. To do what? To answer his questions. Were they tough? Yes. We went all the way from Genesis to Revelation in those three hours. And at the end of those three hours, he just kept saying over and over again, I see it, but I just, I just can't get my hands around it. I see it, but I can't get my hands around it. Now, I want you to understand something. He was very, his, his family, himself, okay, were, they were Muslim. Don't be afraid to talk to them. Don't be afraid to answer questions. Don't be afraid to answer tough questions. Can it put us on the spot sometimes? It can. Take the time to listen to them. Take the time to see where they're coming from. See, we get this mindset sometimes we get so closed-minded till, well, you know, I, I, you just need to drop all of that and you just need to embrace this. Well, did you understand that sometimes there's a journey in there to get there? And at the end of that three hours, here's what happened. Blew me away. I was never expecting this. And here's what he said to me. He said, and I quote, Even if I wanted to embrace what you just told me, and I hear what you're saying, and and even if I wanted to embrace what you told me, you don't realize what it would cost me. You, you just don't under what you're asking me to embrace, you have no idea what it will cost me. And I looked at him and I said, you don't realize how much it cost for God's grace and gift of love to be offered to you. And here's what he said. Broke my heart. He said, you have your Jesus and I have my Mohammed. You have your book, and I have the Quran, and I'll just stick with it. Here's my prayer for three hours. He heard from Genesis to Revelation. He walked out of that place thinking, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit speaks to his heart. See, we're not listen. We're not called to save people. The giving of the increase comes from God himself. Here's what we're called to do. Just plant the seed. Just share. Be willing to listen. Be willing to answer the tough questions, especially when one of these little ones looks at you and says, so where did God come from? How many, any of y'all ever been asked that question? What would you say? Don't know. Well, the Bible tells us that God's always been. Tough questions. Take the time. You know what we often do with people when they ask, ask a tough question and we don't know the answer to it and we don't want to go there? Guess what we do? Here's a good one. Especially when dads, when they come ask you, go ask your mama. Huh? Well, hold on. That goes the other way, too. They go ask mama. Guess what mama says? <laughs> go ask your daddy. Huh? 
Those are tough questions sometimes. What about tough questions of life today? What about dealing with the issues of life? What about dealing with the issues of morality today that we find ourselves in the middle of in culture today? Mm, To sit down and have those tough conversations with our kids. Trust. They're tough. Well, let's go to number three. Number three is this. To live out the truth of the word of God that we claim to believe and know. We need to live out the truth of the word of God that we what? That we claim to believe and know. See, please listen to me. It's not up to us whether or not we want to live it out. It's not our option to whether or not we want to live it out or not. That's what we're told to do. You say, what do you, what do you, what do you mean we're told to do it? Well, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to go to the Sermon on the Mount. This is what it means to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 13 is where we will start. This is very familiar to most people. Been in church at any length of time. You know. Matter of fact, last was it last Sunday night that we were here? It was, wasn't it? Miss Jenny, wasn't that when you played this little light of mine? Okay. Was it Wednesday? Sunday. Sunday night. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Matter of fact, the second verse of that says, Hide it under a bushel or a basket. No, I'm going to let it shine. Well, look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. You know, that all, okay. We look at that as a child's song. But the deep truth to that is this. Chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. That's what you are. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by man. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It is not talking about simply out of words out of our mouth, but our good works may be seen as they bring honor and glory to who? To our Father, to God. It's called living out our faith. To live out our faith. Did you know that today... An interesting thing that I read this past week, where we find ourselves today post-COVID, and COVID threw us into the place where we are today. 
It's an unbelievable place where we find ourselves today. But here's the interesting thing about those who have become de-churched. That's a new word, de-churched. If you put it in Google today, it tries to move you to unchurched. It does not recognize de-churched. Who I'm talking about today are those who used to attend church on a regular basis who today no longer do. To the tune of 40 million plus. And that number is continuing to rise. But let me tell you, what's, here's the interesting thing of what they found. Did you know that a large majority of those individuals said that they would be willing to come back and attend church again if someone were to invite them to come back? If a friend or a neighbor where they lived were to ask them to come and visit church with them, they are more apt to come back today than they've ever been before. What does that tell us? Folks, listen to me. We need to live out. We need to be the salt. We need to be the light. What we need to do is live out in front of everyone who we are in our lives. Notice what Jesus said. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Look at verse 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. Standing in front of them was the absolute fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Verse 18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20, for I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Three points. How do we do it? How do we today Stand for the truth. I can tell you where it starts. You've got to have a deep conviction for the truth in the Word of God. Don't be afraid to answer the tough questions. And then number three, live out the truth of the Word of God that we claim to believe and know. I have a simple question for you today, church. Hear it every day. And I will tell you this. Statistics and figures are what they are. As we see what's going on in the West today with the church, I want to challenge you to do something. I want to challenge you to do something. Those three points that I shared with you this morning. To develop within you a conviction and a strong desire for the Word of God. Engage people with the questions. And then number three, be the salt and the light that God's called us to be. So what do we do as a church today? I'm going to share something with you. 
how many of you this morning, just, just by way of application, how many of you this morning have either family, friends, or neighbors that you know right now do not attend church somewhere? Would you just lift your hand? Look at all those hands. They're all over this auditorium. I want to challenge you to do something. Invite them to come with you. Invite them to come with you. Say, hey, I want you to come be my guest. Now, when you invite them to come be your guest, here's one of the things I want to make sure that you do. Don't invite them to come to be your guest and then you not show up. You say, Brother Robert, surely that wouldn't happen. It's happened. Well, I'm here looking for so-and-so. Can you tell me where I can find so-and-so? Anybody seen so-and-so? No, they're not here today. Okay. Here's something else for you. Invite them to church. Then either invite them to come have lunch with you at the house or to take them out to eat somewhere. You say, Brother Robert, take them out to eat. Yeah, please don't do this either. Oh, yeah, I wanted to invite you all and you and your family to come eat with us after church as well. Get to the restaurant and say, oh, by the way, this is Dutch Treat. Let me tell you where we are today. We need to live out our faith in front of those around us. Let's take the time to invite someone to come be our guest in the house of the Lord.